Last week we um, spent some time, we, we're talking about the cross and we're thinking about the cross and the meaning of the cross. And the cross is like a gateway. And we were thinking about that last week. We were thinking about going through customs. When you go through customs, you do that. It's a crucifix. You get searched. And guess what? The higher the dignitary, the, the, the more important the person, the harder it is to get to them. So it's no surprise that to get into reconciliation with God is the toughest assignment in the world. And when you go through customs to get to God, all the sin beeps and all the attitudes beep and everything in you that isn't as he created it beeps and you're in trouble. A lot of beeping, a lot of patting down and saying, what's that, what's that, what's that, what's that? And you go, oh, shoot. Until Jesus steps in and said, I did that for them. So when they've... uh, received what he's done, they get a free pass. And so we're talking about the, the, what I'm trying to hit on the head and kill stone dead is this um, fixation on the cross where you just wander around the cross for your whole life saying, oh, I'm a miserable sinner. Thank you so much, Jesus, for what you did. And that's it. Jesus went to the cross so that we can have life now, so that we can actually enter into God's presence now, that we can actually know him as real. And like most dignitaries, and we joked about it last week, when you go through customs and you start saying, well, I think it's my right to have this, and I think it's my right to have that, and I think I'll have that, they'll just say, have a nice walk because you're not taking the flight. And often when we come before God, that's the same thing. I want to hold on to this, I want to hold on to that, I want to hold on to that, and then I say, I don't seem to feel God. And you go, because you didn't get through the gate. So there's this whole dilemma. I want to speak to us today and encourage us I would think almost everybody here doesn't trust God that much. Really. I'm provoking you a little bit. I think we say it, and I think we sing it, and I think we sort of do. But when it comes to big things or things that challenge us, we struggle. We need a revelation of the Father's love. We need a revelation of God's love that is so compelling that there's nothing I wouldn't give him and lay down to him. And you can't force that. You can't force somebody to give up something. All you can do is cause them to be so enamored with something else that whatever they lay down is is kind of easy because they go, there's no comparison between these, so of course I'm going to lay this down. You remember that thing about trading up in Facebook? or No, it was in uh, something on the Internet where this guy started with a comb or something and he traded up to millions of dollars. It's all about... Have I just gone off? or oh, I, I went off briefly. Anyway, I'm talking about value. And, and, and Jesus said, you know, greater love has no one than this to lay down your life. And so the question is really, what does he see in you that he would go to the cross for you? I wouldn't die for you, I don't think. And some of you, I definitely wouldn't. But as soon as, and it's easy to say to a bunch of people here, but... As soon as that person becomes your son or your daughter, yeah, I would, I, would, I would die for you. I would die so you could live. Because I've got a little bit more life than you, and I'll die so you can live. Absolutely. And you see, when God sees us, he sees us as his children. We might not recognize him as a father, but he sees us as his children. And so this cross is a very, very powerful, strange, supernatural meeting place between heaven and earth. And if Jesus was present here today, um, what do you think you would do? How do you think you would respond to him? 
I mean, I think sometimes Jesus, that's why I walked out of the Son of Man movie, because he was way too spiritual, stained glass. It was silly, in my opinion. Um, I like the gritty Jesus. You see, the Jesus, if he was present, and he is present, but he's never present always in the way that we expect. It doesn't always look or feel or sound what we might anticipate. So you might not see flapping angels and you might not see an aura around him and you might not see big light shining. In fact, you could just miss him. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about Jesus before Pilate. We're talking about Jesus before a crowd of people. We're talking about Jesus before Barabbas, before his disciples. And they didn't have a clue what was going on. It was just a man from Galilee with an accent and an attitude. Had no idea the drama that they were caught up in. And very often we don't either. We're always looking over there, over there, and he's right here. So what was that all about? Let's look at it. It's in John chapter 18. We'll start with this guy, Barabbas. I'm just going to headline a few things. Barabbas was guilty of murder. He was guilty of insurrection. Insurrection means that you're going to try and overthrow the government. Well, in any country where there's trouble, there's very good reasons why you should overthrow the government. In Africa and all over the world, you can go to places where absolutely the question is how do you go about it? And if you were living under Roman rule, you would have very good reason to be tired of the exploitation, tired of the violence, tired of the taxes, tired of the attitudes, tired of nothing ever being yours. A lot of sympathy for Barabbas. It's easy to just say, oh, he's this, but he was, he was courageous. He was angry. He, was, um, he wanted to do something. And in his doing that, he, he, he was trying to raise people up to, to, to come probably against the Roman rule. And his plans went horribly wrong, and he ends up in jail. And he's also guilty of murder. We don't know what kind of murder that is. We don't know who he murdered. I mean, Moses murdered as well. And he was in jail. And ultimately, he had been found guilty under Roman law, and he was going to be executed. He had no hope. He would be sitting in his jail, chained up and going, well, at least my life counted for something. At least maybe I tried Maybe I just, at least I didn't just submit to these Romans. At least I tried. Or he might have gone, nobody, this was a waste of time and this is the end of my life. We don't know. We don't know what he was thinking. All we know, he was, he was heading for crucifixion. It's really not that far removed from Peter, who in the Garden of Gethsemane had pulled a sword and cut off the ear of one of the guards. And Jesus said, put away that sword and don't do it that way. There was a lot of confusion at this time about how do you confront power? How do you exercise power? How do you actually do anything? Where is God in all of this? And there are a lot of different people spinning different truths about what the answers were to that. And so Barabbas is the one who says, let's do something. And they go for it. And he got nailed and had no expectation of any escape. While Barabbas was guilty of insurrection, the crowd, I don't know if you've ever been in large crowds that have been swayed by opinion, particularly political crowds. It's very frightening. Political crowds, crowds can change very quickly. The mood can change. And it can go from something quite peaceful to something very violent very quickly. And the crowd, 
And I want to say all of these people are in the presence of Jesus. It's very easy to be in the presence of Jesus and not see Jesus. The crowd were faced with something emotional. They had Barabbas, their, their leader, who was saying, let's come up against the Romans. And then they had this Jewish leader claiming to be a king. He had m- done miracles and he had taken on the religious establishment. And the uh, crowd were asked to choose And a crowd doesn't think logically. A crowd doesn't think with rational thinking. A crowd is, this crowd was whipped up into a sort of bloodlust. Who's going to get crucified? And so they were swayed down a road where they just said, release Barabbas, release Barabbas, release Barabbas. And they were probably also uh, whipped up by the religious establishment too. Religion has very great power over people. And... uh, They were infiltrating that crowd because they wanted to see Jesus killed. So Barabbas leads an insurrection. The crowd are looking for gratification. And Pilate is looking for abdication. I'm finding all these Asian words. Pilate stands before Jesus and Jesus stands before Pilate. And Pilate says, your leaders have asked me to actually find you guilty. He talks to Jesus. He hears Jesus speaking. He says, you are a king. Well, you say I am a king. And Pilate, in his own spirit, is not convicted that Jesus is guilty of anything. The problem is that Pilate doesn't have the courage to listen to his inner convictions. Pilate is busy listening to what everybody else is saying, what the crowd is shouting, what the religious leaders are saying. He's interested in political expedience. He's interested in saving his own skin and keeping his job. I work on Sundays because if I don't, I'll be fired. I don't work on Sundays because it's a day of worship to God so they can fire me. What are you going to do? Just trying to make it contemporary. See, we live in an age where there is no crucifixion, very, very little crucifixion because we don't take it to that edge. Like the, like the crowd, we, we, we go backwards and forwards like Pilate. We actually make our decisions. Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What will, what will they say? And at the time we finished, there's no need for crucifixion because there's no conflict, because there's no issue. It's easy to look 2,000 years down the road and, and look at what these guys did and say that was a different time. But the same issues are present here every day. We can go with the crowd, which is the popular opinion, or whatever is the emotion of the moment. We can go with the Barabbas which is us going, um, I'll take this into my own hands. I'll make something work. We can go with Pilate. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to create conflict. We're a peacekeeping nation, of course. The message of Jesus, of course, was peace comes with a price. See, all of us is in this, aren't we? As, as you stand in front of Jesus. And Jesus watches all this, he witnesses all this, he's also settled what he's doing, but the amazing thing about Jesus is that he looks at Pilate and he looks at Barabbas and he looks at the crowd and he still says yes. I mean, he's just said to Pilate, says, I have the power to set you free, to kill you or to to make you live. Jesus responds, you don't have any power that is not given to you from my father. 
I'm choosing to be here right now. When Peter actually took out his sword and cut that man's ear off, what did Jesus say to him? Peter, it's not going to be that way. I could call down 12, 12 legions, 12,000 angels. That is incredible courage and power to actually not do that because the agenda is a bigger one. It's not just this moment, it's all moments. And there's nothing that you could say at that moment to enable anyone to understand. And one of the things about faith and one of the things about God is if you will not work until you understand, you will never do anything. Because most of the stuff you don't understand. I don't understand God's timing. I don't understand why things happen. I don't understand why they don't happen. I don't understand why you get away with this and I don't. I don't understand most things. So all I'm left with is trusting the revelation of his love in this person called Jesus. And Jesus was going all through all of this so that that cross would not be a dead end, but it would actually be a gateway. Because while Pilate was looking at abdication and the crowd was looking at gratification, Jesus was looking at resurrection. And he was going to go right through this process and say, throw everything you have at me. And he's not only speaking to the people, he's speaking to Satan, because the only thing Satan and evil can do is take life on earth. That's the, that's the extent of his power. And so Jesus ultimately says, well, kill me then. Not as cavalier as it might sound, because it's costly. But at the end of the day, somebody who is without sin has to die so that the rest of the world can actually find life and go through customs free. Because you are God's son and you are God's daughter's. And you, you can't do anything about that. I mean, you can deny it. You can say, I don't believe in God. I believe in anything else under the sun. And God just says, you're still my son and you're still my daughter. And so I'm going to pursue you as my son and daughter for the rest of your life. And every time you look at that cross, you're going to see, just turn it sideways and it'll be a kiss, an X. You're going to understand and I'm going to reveal myself through my son that my love for you is non-negotiable. And you don't put any, enough value on yourself. And so rather like the crowd, you tend to gratify through stuff you see or the whims of the moment. And he says, they don't, they're not going to hold. And I'm going to be here as you discover that everything that you've chosen that is not of me is going to wither. There's a powerful uh, phrase in Mark chapter 9, verse 49, where Jesus says, everyone will be salted with fire. Everyone will be salted with fire. And I think one of the meanings of that is, is that everything we do and everything we are, God actually puts through fire and says, what will survive? Where have you placed your hope? Where have you placed your life? Where have you placed uh, everything you trust in? And when it's salted with fire, everything that's not of him will just actually evaporate, be burned away. Because Jesus stood before Pilate and he said, I am truth. I'm not an argument. I'm not an opinion. I'm not a possible option. I am. I am truth. If you've seen me, you've seen God. It's incredibly offensive in a culture that's pluralistic. It's very offensive when we want options. But as we spoke about last week, as you go through the cross, the, 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 the pathway to the cross is narrow. It's one person at a time. 
Once you've gone through the cross, there's a broad highway. And God says, what do you want to do? The narrow path is getting to him. The narrow path is when you're going, I need somebody to rescue me. Eventually, that's my conclusion. And God's love through Jesus on the cross is the one that uh, pours out. And he was willing to die a violent death to pay for our rebellion. And this wasn't something that just happened overnight. I mean, from the moment Jesus was born, in fact, and throughout his ministry, what was Jesus doing? He was continually reaching out to the lost, the broken, the blind. And he was giving them a foretaste of healing and power and what the kingdom looked like. But at the end of the day, he, he wasn't just coming to say, this is what it looked like, Now I'll see you when you die, you know, look forward to it. He was showing what it looked like and he said, if you want to actually live this life, come to my cross. I'll t-. He didn't say this because we couldn't have understood it, but he's really saying, all of this is available to you. I'll go to the cross so that you can have access to everything I had access to while I was on earth. Love, power, peace, patience, kindness, joy. Supernatural. You cannot get it naturally. Let's watch a video clip that uh, somebody else did of uh, Barabbas and Jesus and see where we go from there. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. People say, give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. But all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now. Or you have set me free. No. I don't see any of that in Barabbas. And God knew that. Jesus stood there. Silent for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father 
would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. When I look at the story, I realize who Barabbas really is. That's me. That's you. That's us. And I thought I was reading this the other day, and I felt God speak to me. I love Barabbas. I love him. God, it's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. 
We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed. Or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive? Let me have your sin, son. Okay. When I give him my sin, I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off? Thinking that we were going to set ourselves free. It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If His blood is sufficient for your salvation, His blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough. that's the kind of reality that we're needing to come back to again and again and again. The love of Jesus, that the value on you is beyond your understanding or my understanding. And that he never ever gives up and he never ever stops forgiving. You know what Barabbas means? Son of a father. Barabbas. Son of a father. The son of the father versus the son of a father. Barabbas is every man. Barabbas is everyone. God is amazing in detail. Even in this random situation, he selects a man with a name that would represent everyone. So that Barabbas would receive everything Jesus deserved and Jesus would receive everything Barabbas deserved. And the point of the cross and the point of the crucifixion was to pay that price. But the bigger point was go live your life. Live your life with me. Live your life in relationship with me. See what happens. And all along that living your life will come those voices. It will be the crowd. It will be Pilate. It will be yourself settling for something less as you're working this out through the rest of your life. So let's stand and just bring to God whatever is rising up in you in terms of your relationship with him or your life right now as I prepare for the breaking of bread. What's God talking to you about? He's not condemning you. What's he saying to you this morning?